0: Lord we we just pause and uh, this sobers us but I think of John and I think about the fact that uh, he lived well he he wasn't uh, he wasn't a wealthy man and he wasn't a famous man but he was your man and he sure touched some lives behind the scenes and not just the stars, but the guys, who, uh, the guys who got cut and didn't make it. John was right there for those guys. Uh, the, the guys that were just about ready to have a breakout year and suffered that uh, career-ending injury. John, John was right there for them. And it, I'm still kind of stunned from hearing the news this morning, but what, what a reminder that every day is a gift from you. Uh, we, we, we would pray for his wife, Carol, and for his kids. We know they're just they're in shock. that uh, they would uh, experience the comfort that only you can give you don't get over something like that overnight. It takes takes a long time, and in a sense, in a sense, you never get over it. But thank you, Lord, that John is in your presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And there's going to be separation with John and Carol and the kids. Or a season and then there will be a reunion forever and ever and ever it will never end that's the great uh, hope that's the great truth of Christianity if there's no resurrection if Jesus did not come out of that tomb Paul said we are fools Absolute fools. But, Lord Jesus, you came out of that tomb. And you are our living Lord. That's why we pray. And that's why we see you work in our lives. That's why we see you navigate us, lead us, encourage us because you're alive. There are different kinds of deaths, Lord. There's physical death. Sometimes there's the death of uh, a marriage. Sometimes there is the death of a dream. Sometimes there is the death of, uh, of a hope for a child. There are deaths in life. And at times we're not sure we can bear the pain of the loss and the hurt and the grief. But you are always there. You're near to the brokenhearted. What a great God you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen well we 've been talking about events here in this fall study i 'm sorry with john weber yeah that 's right we've been we 've been talking about events in this fall series different kinds of events different kinds of events that uh, Uh, You you know, we're on a path, we're on a trail, we're on a journey, we're following the Lord. Uh, I always think of Psalm 139, Uh, actually, it's Psalm 90, it's not Psalm 139. As for the days of our lives, they contain 70, or if due to strength, 80 years. But soon it is gone, and we fly away. And you jump a verse and he says, so teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. Yeah. So from from the womb to the tomb, we're on a journey. And God's overseeing our journey. Uh, We're going to encounter different events. And we've been talking about these events throughout this fall. Uh, There is an event we're going to encounter as believers that, quite frankly, we don't like to talk about, but it's reality because it's part of the journey and it's part of the path that the Lord takes us on in order to do the work that he wants to do in our lives. Uh, Isaiah 55.8, we quote it all the time in here, where God says, my ways are are not your ways. Now I want to show you one of those ways that are not our ways that we're going to encounter on the path as we're going through life. If you'd have your Bible, would you turn to me to Romans 8? Just, just a phenomenal passage. Romans is the crown jewel of, uh, of the New Testament. Just, just full of prime rib, the book of Romans, and in Romans eight verse thirty-five, the Apostle Paul writes, "Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No." Because these things will never happen to us, Paul writes. Is that in your text? It's not mine either. I just thought I'd add to it. And by doing so, I've just invited God to curse me, by the way. Because whenever you add to the Word of God, and you know I have tongue-in-cheek, but in all seriousness, when you add to the Word of God, uh, read the end of Revelation. You're, you're inviting curse Um, that's what we'd like it to say but it's not what it says it says who will separate us from the love of Christ will tribulation oh because you see why he the reason he says that is that on this journey you're going to encounter tribulation on the journey and sometimes the tribulation is so weighty and so great and so grievous that you wonder if, indeed, God loves you. Sometimes the distress is so great, you wonder about the love of God. We don't know much about persecution in America. I think it's coming our way. We already see it. But a lot of folks in the world who love Christ, they know a lot about persecution. That'll, that'll break your heart, to see someone you love persecuted. One of the leaders in, uh, in Gaza was gunned down, was assassinated a few weeks ago. Left, a guy was, in, I think, in his late 30s. Left a wife, several kids. Famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Who will separate us from the love of Christ. Just as it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. See, once again, we, we, we don't know about this, but these folks did. Most believers in the world today know about this. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. but it, now, this, is, this is amazing here. Watch this, 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. See, the fact is, he does love us. The, the fact of the matter is, he has given his life for us. Well, then, why do? But, but why do we go through these things? It's because his ways are not our ways. He goes on, and he, uh, he gives you the guarantee. You know, we read about these big NFL contracts, and we read about... The guaranteed money. Here's the guarantee. 38. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I, I've been rereading J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. I've been reading this since 1973, and and, and here's the section that fell out today or, or last week because uh, this is, I think, the third one I've gone through over the years because it, it's so good. Um, from time to time, I'm asked, what are your type, top five books other than the Bible? Knowing God is, I always, that's always my first one, is knowing God. Uh, in his last chapter, he comments, uh, hey Jeff, I'm glad you're here. I just heard what you're about. Because the emails we've been going back and forth on, right. and you told me you weren't going to be here tonight. You made the right move. We've been having this interchange. This guy writes me emails that are like 90, se- they, they break my computer. Smoke comes out. These heavy duty questions. And I see these Jeff Swan, I go, oh Lord, help me. Help me. I can't, this guy is too deep for me. But I love your stuff. And I, when you told me you weren't going to be here, I thought, oh man, I'm glad you're here. And I'm quoting Packer. You know the stuff we've been talking about? Okay, all right. I'm glad you guys are here too. <laughs> but really, Jeff and I were going to get together tonight and go over this stuff. Now, Packer is commenting on this passage here about the love of God. Okay, now I want you to catch this. He, he, he's, he's British. He writes a little british e, if that's a term. But let's see if we can... He's got some juice here. Now listen to this. Once more... Paul is countering fear. Fear this time of the unknown. Whether in terms of unprecedented suffering, uh, distress, persecution, famine, peril, sword, that's fear. When that's going on, that'll scare you. Because you don't want that to happen to you or to your family. Uh, Once more, Paul's countering fear. Fear this time for the unknown, whether in terms of unprecedented suffering, verse 35, or of a horrific future, or of cosmic forces which one cannot measure or master, the focus of the fear, now catch this, you've got to get this, the focus of the fear that's being addressed in here, we're talking about the love of God shall not separate, the focus of the fear is the effect these things might have on one's fellowship with God. By overwhelming, here's what fear does, by overwhelming both reason and faith and so destroying sanity and salvation together. In other words, the fear of what might happen gets so huge and so overwhelming, it overwhelms our faith. And the peace of our salvation. I mean, this stuff, fear, is a force. It's a force. He says, in an age like ours, not so different in this respect from Paul's, all Christians, especially the more imaginative Christians, know something of this fear. The reason he says imaginative, if you're a guy with a great imagination... And you get going on fear you can drive yourself you can drive yourself crazy you can, you can terrorize yourself by letting your imagination go wild well, well, what if that happened well, what, and what, what, and, oh my gosh and what if that happens? and, 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 and what if this, this happened to me two nights ago I had, I had an attack of fear that I have like, and I'll tell you, the last time I had an attack of fear like that was 10 years ago. And it hit me, it hit me, it hit me out of the blue. And I'll tell you it's really interesting. i tell you it's really interesting. I would had a conversation that afternoon with Mary, and you know what I said to her? She knows me like a book, and I, and I deal with fear. And I was talking to her about a situation, and I said, you know, I've been doing a lot better on fear. <laughs> you talk about shooting yourself in the foot. You talk about being an idiot. And I mean two hours later. I was tied up in knots. I was tied up in absolute Knots. it took me two hours to walk it off and work through scripture because you know what I, I got a fairly fertile imagination and I, was, and I was terrifying myself to death you guys look I can just tell you don't ever deal with that you're, you're so calm, you're so stable, you're so placid I've got to read this again. because He says, in an age like ours, all Christians, especially the more imaginative, know something of this fear. It is the Christian version of the existentialist angst, at, I catch this, at the prospect of personal destruction. See, that's what it is. What's the fear all about? It's, it's Well, if that happens and that happens, I am personally going to be destroyed. That is the core that scares us. And frightens us. Now, sometimes stuff happens to us. You know, Job said, what I have feared has come upon me. Oh, Lord, don't ever let that happen. Now, now, I don't want to freak you guys out. Some of you are going to get freaked out tonight. My goal is not to freak you out. But you know what my goal is to do? Is to maybe offset so much of the nonsense we hear today. I think, I think that's probably the goal of biblical teaching, because there is so much nonsense. I've been, uh, I've been reading a book. I, I, I read a lot of books. I don't have a real job. I mean, I read books. <laughs> I, I can't even hold a real job, so... But, but I think before I tell you about the book, I want to read this from uh, this anonymous poem. I, I've, I've seen it in about four different books, and nobody knows who wrote it. But catch this. When God wants to drill a man, and thrill a man, and skill a man, to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, then watch God's methods and watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him, and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses and by every act induces him to try his splendor out, then man will know what God's about. I sort of like this poem, but I sort of don't. It's so right, and it's so true, but it disturbs me. Because God will drill you. God will thrill you. And he wants to use you. But in order to do that, he's going to drill you and he's going to hurt you. And, and, uh, which brings me to this book. Lon Solomon has written a book. Called Brokenness. I found this in the bookstore at Hume Lake Christian Camp a couple weeks ago, California. And I've heard of uh, Lon over the years. I know he's good friends with Chuck. I've never met Lon. I've never heard him speak. He's pastor at McLean Bi- Bible Church in Virginia. Um, uh, you know, I, I, here, here's what I'm thinking I'm really not going to teach tonight, I'm going to let Lon teach. Th- this is. Um, I want, here's what I'm going to do for a little bit. I I want to read some of this stuff to you because this is profound stuff. And uh, you see, guys, if I was going to title this, and by the way, Lou, here's the title. The title is, When God Breaks You Down. Because you're going to encounter that, and I'm going to encounter it. Well, hey, I don't want to be broken down. Well, join the club. But you're going to get broken down. Well, why? Well, it's a great question. I don't want to get broken down. Well, you know what? That's how God does it. That's how God works in the the lives of his men. Well, I didn't sign up for that. Of course you did. You're not stupid. You, You know what happens, guys? The Lord signs us up for stuff that nobody in their right mind would ever sign up for on their own so he goes ahead and he'll sign you okay isn't this isn't this uh, wonderful (laughs) Uh, you say yeah but I thought it was supposed to be my best life now no no You don't get your best life now. Did you know that? You guys know what I'm talking about? There's a big book out called Your Best Life Now. You don't get your best life now. You get your best life when you die. And you go to heaven. Now, we can have a good life here. And God's good and God's faithful and He's a wonderful God. But His ways are not our ways. And see, this is how, um, you know, we're real big in America on church growth. This is how you empty a church. (laughs) This is how you buy, this is how you get everybody into a big building and then empty it and the church bankrupts. Because who wants to hear this stuff? Uh, Lon's written a book called Brokenness. I'm going to read you a little bit here for a few minutes, okay? This is going to ring true with you. It's going to ring true. And... And for a lot of guys in here, it's going to explain some things. Some tough things. And maybe Jeff will quit emailing me. I'm really hoping that's going to happen as a result of this tonight. That's my real prayer in my prayer closet. All right. He says this. It's called Brokenness. He says, this book is based on an intensely personal relationship with my daughter, Jill. And he's got, I think, three or four sons. Its tenets were learned in the fires of deep suffering. God taught me the truths of this book at the bottom of the worst emotional black hole that I've ever experienced in 56 years of living. I can certify that the precepts in this book are, as David says in Psalm 19:9, 9, sure and altogether trustworthy because I have lived them. And then he goes on and talks about how he and his wife, they had these boys, but they'd always wanted a little girl. And uh, they had three boys, and after his wife turned 40, they thought, well, you know, that would have been nice. And then his wife gets pregnant, and they have a little girl. It was the dream of their life. For the first three months of her life, Jill was a normal, healthy baby. Then we noticed something wrong with her arms. They were twitching. A A malady we soon learned had a name, which was focal seizures. We were scared and worried and fearful of what might happen, Next, a little Jill. We we prayed for the best, but the worst happened. Her localized seizures evolved into full-body grand mal convulsions. And by the time Jill was a year old, she was having multiple major seizures daily. We saw doctor after doctor and tried every type of medicine. Nothing worked. Um, Sometimes Jill would have as many as 12 grand mal seizures a day. The rescue squad arrived so many times at our house that we knew each paramedic by name. On Jill's first Thanksgiving day, she had 19 grand mal seizures. We spent the entire weekend in the hospital with her. Uh, In 2000, she almost died from a rash of uncontrollable seizures with heavy hearts. Brenda and I began to plan her funeral service. Despite the odds, Jill survived, but lost the ability to walk, stand up on her own, or even sit in a chair without falling over. To date, Jill has had nearly 6,000 seizures that have profoundly damaged her brain and left her severely mentally retarded. Yet, to our dismay, none of the doctors who had been treating Jill were able to tell us exactly what went wrong with her. He goes on and mentions they... At John Hopkins, they finally met a Dr. Richard Kelly, and, and he was able to help, remarkably. Uh, Jill's disorder, he said, could not be cured. It could be treated, though, by a unique treatment of vitamins and antioxidants. And she started this regimen in 2000. Her improvement has been nothing short of miraculous. She's gone from nearly 12 seizures a day to one or two uh, one or two. Every four weeks. She's regained all of her mobility and he's even begun to learn some new skills. Nevertheless, the damage from thousands of seizures has left Jill severely impaired. She's lost the ability to speak, which she once could do, and is now completely nonverbal. She is not potty trained, nor can she dress herself. She recognizes her family, but she cannot understand even simple commands or grasp even the most elementary concepts. If she kicks the covers off during the night, she will lie in the fetal position and shiver, unaware of her need to simply pull the blankets over her. If she went outside in cold weather and became chilled, she could not fathom the idea that a coat would warm her. She has no conception of danger, and for her protection, someone must watch her every minute of every day for the rest of her life. Apart from a miracle from the Lord, Brenda and I will be caring for Jill until we, or she, passes away. The impact of Jill's sickness has been devastating for us. There was the physical and emotional exhaustion we experienced. My, um, my little girl didn't sleep through the night for eight years from 1992 through 2000. Uh, we were walking zombies for those years, exhausted, spent, burned out. Then there was the grief, the grief of watching our dreams and plans for our little girl vanish. There'd be no shopping trips to the mall where Brendan and Jill could laugh and buy clothes. There'd be no piano lessons, dance lessons, first dates, prom nights, or teaching Jill to drive. I was never going to walk my little girl down the aisle or watch her become a mother. This isn't your best life now, is it? And see so you guys, let me tell you something. If you don't have truth from the Word of God, you'll cave under the pressure. Because it's absolutely heartbreaking. All of our dreams for our own life would never be fulfilled either. There would be no emptiness days where we could travel together, enjoy one another's company, unencumbered by the demands of children. There'd be no impulsive dinners or uh, dashes to the movie theater to catch a last-minute last show. The plans we had cherished for what life would be like in our fifties and beyond were now dead, forever. The loss of our future was an utterly shattering blow to us. The strange in our marriage, the strange in our marriage, were at times unbearable. So I began to ask some hard questions. Where is God in all this? Why would he allow this to happen to me when I'm trying so hard to serve him faithfully? This guy's a pastor, teaches the word. Is God really engaged in this suffering or are I just at the mercy of these circumstances? I know Romans 8.28 says, God works for the good of those who love him, but what good can possibly come out of the pain Brenda and I are suffering through? Am I a bad Christ follower with some serious sins in my life that God's punishing me for even though I can't figure out what they might be? Am I a follower of Christ at all? Have I been deceiving myself all along? Is my faith somehow un- insufficient? This book, this book is the result of 12 years of such questions. Some of you guys have these questions. Setting God's words for answers and watching God redeem our pain and turn it into good just as he promised. I have seen God, Now here you, and I want you to get this positive, okay? Because this is pretty heavy. And, and everyone's sitting here thinking, what if this happens to me? And the Job thing, that really freaked you out. Some of you guys, I lost you on Job. Remember when I gave you that verse, what I have feared has come upon me? And you're sitting there going, "Whoa, what if that happens to me? That's just human nature. As soon as I quoted the verse, I got worried. I'm being honest with you. As soon as I quoted that verse, it shot through my mind. Well, what if that happens to me? Well, it kind of happened to Lon, and here's what Lon says. I have seen God redeem... Suffering that our family has experienced in ways that I never could have imagined 12 years ago. Jill's disability has been a defining moment for me as a father and a husband. Today, now catch this, today Brenda and I have a much stronger marriage. Why? Because they've suffered. And the suffering and the pressure has Melded them together. You got two options when suffering hits a marriage. Satan wants to take the suffering and use it as a wedge to divide you. But if you have a teachable spirit before the Lord, even in your pain, and you turn your back towards the pressure, it'll move you to your spouse. Jill, catch this. Jill has made me a better pastor. Hmm. Providing me the foresight to want to help others with disabilities. I tell you something. I've heard Chuck over the last thirty years preach a lot of sermons. Sunday was about as good as I've ever heard. If you were here. That was phenomenal. Why? Uh, he, he shared how God was breaking him down. See, it's stuff like that. Ch- Ch- Chuck shared with us. You know, you know the problem with some guys who are pastors? They quit growing. And they are working off old stuff. That's not happening with Chuck. Chuck, uh, that ministered to me. Minister to you the authenticity. But that came out of brokenness. There, there, that was, that was, there was a sweetness there on Sunday, which reminds me of a quote in the front of this book. Robert Murray McChain said this There is a great want about all Christians who have not suffered. In other words, there's a great deficit about Christians who have not suffered. Some flowers must be bruised or broken before they emit any fragrance. All the wounds of Christ send out sweetness. All the sorrows of Christians do the same. Oh, by the way, the guy that wrote that, do you think he had an easy life? Do you think he was enjoying his best life now? Somehow, I don't think so. So uh, this guy, you read this and, go, "Oh my gosh, you know, and uh, this little girl has made me a better pastor. Why? Well, this guy has got a huge church in D.C, and thousands of people come in, and he talks about in his book that when he was a young guy, he just wanted to be used and he wanted to have a big church and he wanted to be real effective. But he had a lady in his church who kept praying for him and kept sending him notes uh, and saying, "Lon, you're too proud." Kind of ticked him off, Lon. You need to. Uh, you got a real big ego, Lon, and it just it just really hacked him off. Wouldn't that hack you off? It hacked me off. But then she'd say I- I- I, she wasn't trying to take him down. But she'd say, Lon, I pray for you every day. Every day. I love you, Lon. That's a little scary to me, you know? This lady could sense, this guy, you know, this guy is phenomenally gifted, but there's something not there yet. Now, here's what it was. He says, I have learned about brokenness, and I have understood its power firsthand. And now I realize that had I better known the principles in this book, I would have gone through the last 12 years, catch this, with far more hope, far more assurance, and far less anguish of the soul. See, here's the problem with light weight teaching. When you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know God, and you don't know how God works, it brings great anguish. But when you get a glimpse of how God works, and how is it that God works? Well, not the way you want Him to work. But when when you know that's him, it 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 diminishes the anguish. You go, you know what? You know what? I don't like this, but I'm in a process and I'm not the first guy to go through this process. You're in absolute control of what's going on in me. Is this make hey guys? Is this registering at all? You see you see how important this is? Yeah. Because see, once again, you 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 get in these situations and we're and we get fearful. We get fearful of why do we get so fearful? Because the potential of our personal destruction. Well, I don't want my life to be destroyed. I don't want this stuff to happen to me. I don't. But the fact of the matter is, something's going to happen. You, you know that. Now what we're talking about is degrees. And, and quite frankly, some of us are more gnarly than others. Some of us are going to have to go deep, through deeper things because of how we're wired. Some of us are more compliant some of us are more hard headed. But God knows what we need, does He not? And is He not a good God? Okay. It's kind of heavy, isn't it? But it's real life. All right. Um, we've got to take a little mental break here because it's heavy. Now, I want to flip over to another section here. Because as I'm saying, I'm not teaching tonight, I'm just reading. But I'll tell you something i gonna tell you something. There is a ring of truth and authenticity that can come from no other way than hardship and from suffering. When you see when you see the real deal, you know it, don't you? You sure you do. Okay. I, I have to tell you, my struggle is there, there's so much here that relates to our study this fall. There's just so much. I, I've had to pick and choose. Uh, he has a chapter, chapter four, called Embracing the Product, Resisting the Process. We all want maturity, don't we not? Yeah. Listen to this. Everybody wants to have the wisdom to make good decisions. It goes back to what I was saying to the kids at Liberty this week. Uh, What do you need to make good decisions? You need wisdom. Everybody wants to have the wisdom to make good decisions, but nobody wants to go through the process of making the bad decisions that it takes to get there. Everybody wants to be a great athlete, but nobody wants to go through the -the off-the-field discipline that it takes to get there. The very same thing is true when it comes to brokenness. As Christ followers, we can see the great benefits of being broken, but we recoil at the process that it takes to get us there. Now catch this. We know that God never uses success to break anybody. That's worth the price of admission right there. (laughs) Isn't that true? But what is it that we all want? Success. What we want. That's what we're after. Of course, and of course, we're just guys. I mean, it makes sense. But that's not how God emits the fragrance. That's not how it comes out. See, because when we get real successful, you know what happens to us? We got to be real careful because we tend to get proud and we tend to get arrogant. And we tend to get a little. Yeah. Now, catch this. Have you ever. Um, have you ever uh, met someone who's really been through deep suffering, but they have just such great, they have an unbelievable substance in their life? Well, that person has been broken before God. Lon says, No one regrets being broken because on the other side of brokenness lies new intimacy with God and new power to serve Him. However, no one who has been through the process would dare say it was easy or that they ever wanted to go through it again. Some of you guys went through boot camp. And every guy goes through boot camp says, you know what, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Turned me from a boy into a man. Would I ever want to go through it again? No. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Right? What do we do with kids, 17, 18, kids that are rebellious and kids that are self-centered and hard-hearted and, you know, uh, you know talking back to their mothers? And what do you do with a kid like that? It's becoming incorrigible. Put him. The, put the sucker in the Marine Corps. They don't give a rip about his feelings. They really don't care about his self-esteem. They don't give a snot what he thinks. And how many guys come out the other end? You ever seen a kid like that go off? He's got an attitude. He's got a, you know, a snarl on his lip. He's got a cigarette hanging out. You ever seen a kid like this? And then you see him like, uh, you know, six months later and he comes back and he walks in and it's like this, he, he, he's, yes, sir. How are you, sir? It's good to see you, sir. It's good to be home. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can I have a, get you a chair, sir? Yes. And this kid would beat the crud out of you. He'd slap you silly. Six months before, you guys know what I'm talking. He's going to talk about God's technique. You guys still with me? Oh, yeah. Are you? Okay. All right. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Listen to this. The, Lord's, the Lord employs two different kinds. Or the Lord employs two different ways to break our outward man. I kind of like doing this. I'm I, I kind of learning the secret. If I just come in here on Wednesday night and read other guys' books, um, this is a pretty good deal, Roger. I don't have to really study. I don't have to do a whole lot, except, you know. And see, what I do when I go out a lot on the weekends, I listen to Chuck stuff, and then I go preach it all over America. <laughs> I do I give him credit? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But when he gets it on the radio, that's when I get in trouble. So. <laughs> the Lord employs two different ways to break our outward man, Watchman Nee said. One is gradual, and the other is sudden. Neither of these techniques is mutually exclusive. God uses them in concert with one another to accomplish his work of breaking. Uh, The first technique we'll discuss is the ongoing lifelong process. No one is ever fully broken. No one ever reaches zero resistance to God. So God employs a gradual, ongoing process of trials and struggles to deepen and enhance our brokenness. Those are different events that we encounter in life. This process continues throughout our lives. There is a second technique, however. Even though brokenness is a lifelong process, God's plan of brokenness always calls for at least one bedrock-shattering experience for every Christ follower. This experience is like the one God gave Moses in Exodus 2 and 3. This shattering experience is the part that normally comes first chronologically and sets the whole process of brokenness in motion for the rest of our lives. It is also the part that people remember All their lives. It is the part that people most fear before it happens. And thank God for once it is over. Because they are living with the blessed results of it. Let me stop here for a minute. You guys have been here. I told you the story when I was a young pastor in my first church in California. And I was pretty... um, Oh, man, I was pretty aggressive. You know, I wanted to grow this thing, and I'm up in the San Francisco Bay Area, which, you know, is the Bible Belt of California. <laughs> and, um, and my hero, this guy who was 15 years older than me, was this guy down in L.A. named Chuck Swindoll. And I saw what God did down there with Chuck, and I thought, I'm 27, I said, you know what, I mean, I never said this publicly. I mean, because I wasn't that stupid. But in my heart of hearts, I thought, you know what? I want to be. I kind of like to be the Chuck Swindoll up here. How stupid is that? And uh, so I'm real driven. I'm going to grow this little church, and I'm going to make it into a big. You know, know, I mean, I don't. I don't. Do I understand the process? How No, I'm just some rookie with a seminary degree. What do I know? Just a yo-yo kid. Uh, A little too confident. A little too arrogant. A little too much ego. uh, My mom said, I wanted to raise confident children, but this is ridiculous. (laughs) She said that. So I didn't suffer from a lack of confidence. So when you're overconfident, what does God have to do with a guy like that in order to use him? He's going to beat the crud out of you. And he's going to put you to a point where you lose all of your confidence. And what I thought was going to happen there didn't happen, and I just burned myself out, and I wore myself out, and I got emotionally exhausted. And anyway, I left that. I don't want to recount this story because some of you guys have heard it. Uh, I, I thought I was going to this one church, and I didn't. I was out. I was out for. I, 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 I didn't have a ministry for almost a, a year. And then when I finally went to a church, it was this little tiny church full of old people. And I'm about 30 and the average age in there was in the 70s. And, oh man, those were hard days for me. It, it, it broke my heart and it crushed me. And I went through a deep depression. And uh, I lost all my hopes and I lost all my dreams. And I would cry sometimes three and four hours a day. See, I'd been so confident before. But I couldn't grow this little church. I had reached the end of my, I mean, I, I tell you what. And, and you know what? Put, you know why I cried so much? Because my dream—I I didn't want to be Chuck, but you know, I wanted to be used. Um, I—I—I I, just—I I was so crushed, and I was so broken down. And uh, you, you know what? At the heart of it was, I thought God would never use me because I was such a failure. See, I didn't understand how God works. And it took me about three years to pull out of that depression. Now, I'm going to jump ahead about ten years. I told you guys the story when Tom Miller in Fort Worth rented the Will Rogers Auditorium for a men's conference. And I thought he had lost his cotton pick in mine because I was the speaker. And I'm thinking there might be 160 guys, and he rented that because he, he, he thought we'd have 1,600. And when I walked in there and there were 1,600 guys, see, I thought, just a few years before, I thought God had never used me. And now I'm walking in, and there's these guys, and I was freaked out. And I, I, I wasn't sure I was supposed to be there. Now, ten years before, I was convinced I was supposed to be there. Oh, yeah, well, this fits. Sure. I'm the guy. That's what I'm supposed to do. But see, God doesn't use guys like that. So he had to knock the crud out of me, and I walk in there, and I'm shocked. And I go, what am I doing here? There's a hundred guys better than me that ought to be here. And so we do the conference Friday night and Saturday, and then after lunch we took a break. We did a question and answer thing because we're giving them so much stuff. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. The first guy up to the mic got up and he said, "I have a question." And everybody's looking at him, and he broke down. He was about thirty, and he started he started in front of him. he started sobbing convulsively, and he got it out. He said, and he started telling what had happened. And every guy in the room was riveted on him, and everybody just broke for this guy. And I'll tell you, and he laid out the situation, he looked up at me, and he said, Steve, what do I do? <laughs> well, 10 years ago, I said, Well, you do this, and you do this, and you do this. Because it's your best life now. <laughs> Huh. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something. I've, I've had, you guys, I say this in all, all humility before the Lord. I've had some amazing things happen to me. Some amazing things. I'll never forget this moment. And when that guy was so broken, I can't, I can't restructure the moment for you. When that guy looked up at me and all these guys were there, he said, Steve, what shall I do? What do I do? And I said to him, I said, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. That was a holy moment. You know, Proverbs says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit used that scripture and brought it to my mind for some reason. And it, it was like in that whole auditorium, it just went... That was God. I, I no more could have been tuned into that guy 10 years before I no more could have given. But see, I knew how crushed he was. I can't, I can't manufacture what it was. I'm telling you, it was a holy moment. We had one of those Sunday when Chuck was sharing. I'm sitting right back up here. And I didn't want to move. You know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, you'll see that. That's God. That's God. And that happened. But... And I have to tell you something. I've never forgotten that guy and that moment. Because when, when I saw the connection in his heart with, with that verse at the right time, I, I have to tell you something. In my mind, here's what, I'll never forget this. I saw his eyes. I saw his... It was just the right word. The Spirit of God did it. And the thought came I thought, this is why I suffered. This is why. And it was just one guy. It wasn't 70,000 guys in the stadium. It was one guy. And to me, that's one of the greatest moments I've ever had in my whole life. See, we think to be used by God is the big deals. It might. I mean, it might be. But see, it's usually the little deals. Ministering to one broken person at a time. But if you're never broken... How do you know uh, what line goes on and does is that he shows in the scripture in every significant man that God used that uh, God went through this process, and this is kind of interesting uh, basically when God breaks it down, God breaks a guy down, and once again, are you guys still with me when when God breaks a guy down, what he does is, let me see if I can find this. Ah, here it is. This is priceless. Catch this. It's called God's target. In general, we may say that God's target in brokenness is our self-life. However, when it comes to God's bedrock, bedrock-shattering blow, we may identify a more specific target. Generally, God targets a person's greatest human strength. The source of their greatest security and confidence. I'll get up and speak anywhere. I don't have any fear. I'm 27 years old and stupid. (laughs) Oh, sure, you got 10,000 guys? I'll get up. Sure, let me talk. (laughs) Sit down and shut up, you little runt. (laughs) That's why Ray Steadman told me when I was 27, I'm having lunch with Ray, pastor at Peninsula Bible Church, mentored Chuck, mentored Luis Palau. He's with the Lord now. I'm having lunch with uh, Ray at the Elks Club in Palo Alto, and we're talking, and I read all Ray's stuff, and we're talking, and I said, Hey, Ray, uh, you know, I'd like to write sometime. He goes, Oh, Steve, you ought to do that. That'd be great. I said, Well, how do you get into writing? He goes, Well, you know, it just, you just work on your stuff, and then, you know... He said, "But you ought to do it." He said, "The process isn't that important, but you got to write because you can multiply what you're saying and all that." And he said, "Man, that's great, Steve. It's wonderful you want to do that." I said, "Well, yeah, that's great. I mean," and he's encouraged me. And he said, "Oh, he said, but Steve, you know what I'd say to you?" I said, "What's that?" He said, "Don't write anything till you're 40." I said, "What?" He said, "Well, don't write till you're 40." And I said, "Well, I'm 27." He said, that's right, you bozo. I mean, no, he didn't say that. But he said, well, you know, Steve, you just need a little... In other words, Steve, you don't know snot, man. You got a seminary degree. You haven't been beat up. You haven't been broken. You haven't cried. You haven't been run over. You don't have anything to say. There was great wisdom there. And when I got beat up, what got targeted in my life? migrate a source of self-confidence. That's what will happened to you. Probably has. I got it. Thanks, Luke. Uh, and why is this? Because God is aiming to bring down the, inter- the entire self-life system in that particular individual. To do so, he goes right to the heart of the matter. God hits the flesh where it feels the strongest. So with Moses, what was Moses' greatest human strength? If you know about Moses in his early years, he was a phenomenal leader. He was a general. He took back the city of Memphis, Flavius Josephus tells us, from the Ethiopians. He he did an all-night march and had an incredible military victory. He was a great leader. Where did God break him? In his leadership. Peter's greatest confidence was in his courage and loyalty, bravery and valor. And where did he get broken? He denied Christ three times before a little girl. Jacob. He goes right down the line here. Just every guy in the scripture. Where do they get targeted? In the area of greatest strength and self-confidence. Now, now again, guys, the question is, the question is why? Why, why does God do this? Why does God do this? One more section, then we'll wrap it up. The exact instrument that God uses to accomplish the bedrock blow varies for every follower of Christ. Just as no doctor can use the same prescription for every patient, God cannot use the same hammer and anvil for every bedrock experience. Much depends upon the target. Certain weapons work better against certain targets. What I'm really saying is that God's broken. The strategy is unique for every believer in Jesus Christ, regardless of the specific tool he may choose. God's bedrock experience always involves failure, frustration, loss, setbacks, weakness, illness, heartache, suffering, disappointment, and pain. God never, deliver- God never delivers the crushing blow of brokenness by means of Bible study, prayer, sermons, witnessing, or fellowship. And that's what we all focus on. But but, but you say, wait a minute, But we study the Bible and we pray. Yes, we do. And why do we study the Bible and pray? Because we want to have God's Word. And why do we do that? Because we need it to grow and we need it to be used by God. But, but, he's got to take us through the process so that we are desperate and have nothing else to depend on. All that we've always depended on is over, it's gone. What's the phrase we used a couple of weeks ago? You don't know that God is all you need until God is all that you have. Everything else is gone. God works strangely; His ways are not our ways. Now, now, guys, look at you. Know what David said? It's it's uh, it's in, I, I gotta, you know what, I, I can't, I, I, I'm blanking on the verse. Let me just tell you what he said, and you can look it up. I'm just blanking. I, I want you to catch this. We've got to close on a positive, because, this is, man, that was so heavy. That was just unbelievable. Right, look at what David said. And did David know anything about brokenness? All right, you know what David said? David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Have you walked with Christ long enough in your life... That you can already say that. What you went through that you didn't want to go through. Can you look at that and say, it was good for me. There's more depth. But would your wife say, you know what? It was good for you. Man, was it painful? Oh, it killed me. You do I want to go through again? No. It was good for me. It was good for me. What did Paul say? Three times I asked the Lord to take this thorn away. And the Lord said, the Lord said, my power is perfected in strength. And I wish it said that. But it doesn't say that. My power is perfected in weakness. And that's the last thing any of us ever want. But it's the greatest thing that can ever happen to a guy. Because when we get weak, Paul says, "When I am weak, then I am strong, and I can be used. No suffering in your life or in my life is wasted. Packer's got a thing in here, and he says, when we get to heaven, we will see we will see that the path God took us through was the maximum path of goodness for our lives. There was no other path that would provide more goodness than the path we've been on because he's such a great God. So our trust is in him. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful because when he afflicts us, it's because he's going to use us. And there won't be perpetual affliction We'll reach a point, we'll say, it was good for me. I wish I had another hour. But we'll get an hour next week, Lord willing. When 12 of you come back. (laughs) Let's stand, guys, and let's pray. Well, Lord, we are grateful that you tell us the truth there's uh, so much propaganda out there and there's so much cotton candy and we don't need that stuff. We, we can't live off it. It doesn't sustain us. We'll die of malnutrition and fear will kill us. And Lord, the, the fact of the matter is, Lord, we want to end where we started. What can separate us from the love of God? Not a little girl, with seizures, not uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, not a wife cutting out on us, not a business failing. None of the suffering, Lord, is wasted, none of it, none of it. We don't suffer randomly. You're doing a work. Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us now? Hey, Lord, would you help me? Because you know why I was so fearful the other night. You know why. And Lord, I'm still a little fearful. Because I don't know how that's going to turn out. Lord, would you help me and these guys to live off this stuff and to trust you? We can trust you. We can't be separated from your love. You'll do what's right. You'll make a way. We will not be destroyed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.